It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the mind of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Guessman, coming to you from Corner of the Galaxy Studios, COG Studios, on Sunday. That's right, a Sunday, not a Monday, July 14th, after the LA Galaxy's embarrassing 3-1 loss to the San Jose Earthquakes. A bunch to talk about with that, also leading you up in this particular week to the second rivalry game in two weeks against LAFC as LAFC comes to Dignity Health Sports Park this upcoming Friday, Friday, July 19th at 7 p.m. Kickoff time nationally broadcast on ESPN. So lots to discuss this week. Two shows setting you up as well, Monday and Wednesday. Uh, so we're excited that we at least get to uh, talk you all the way up to that game. However, we have to start in, the, in a bad place for the LA Galaxy in that 3-1 loss to the San Jose Earthquakes. But to help me do that, I know you're sick of hearing me by myself every single, it seems like, Monday for quite a while. We actually have the man, the myth, the legend, the, the world traveler himself, the panda, Kevin Baxter, back with us after his uh, Women's World Cup extravaganza and, uh, and adventure there. Kevin, how's it going, buddy? Bonjour, Josh. <laughs> Bonjour, Kevin. Uh, I have to imagine that you're uh, you're a little sick of pastries by this time. Oh man, it's bread uh, bread with every meal. Everyone carries around those baseball bat sized uh, the loaves of bread. You just see those things everywhere. They give you bread with every single meal. It's uh, yeah, it's tough. And you know what? They eat pato over there. They eat they eat duck over yeah, there. Yeah, you okay. should not go. That's okay. You know what? That's fine. We're just it, that's it's delicious sometimes. I, I was over there. Did how many Mexican restaurants did you end up finding in in Paris and in France while you were? Around? I found one in Paris, which was very good, and then I found another one in Lyon, which was even better. Although I have to say, the one in Lyon was was really good. It was called El Sombrero. Uh, was run apparently by a, a family who lived uh, for some period of time in Texas. They, it's, there seemed to be a problem in the translation, though, because all of the waiters, waitresses were all dressed in cowboy suits. They had, uh, you know, the, the shirt and they had the big belt buckle and cowboy hat and boots. And it's like, uh, no, no, that's that's and, and the picture on their website shows uh, people wearing serapes with sombreros. So it was kind of like um, were, were, they, um, were they going for like the vaquero look there? But they was more Texas. Was it a little Tex-Mex? Yeah, I, I guess maybe I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say maybe they were going for the Tex-Mex thing. But the whole picture on the website, it's like this is racial stereotype night at the restaurant. <laughs> Let's put on the big the big fake uh, mustaches and the and the hats and the serapes. And uh, anyway, I, I, I sat outside, so I didn't have to deal with that. And the food was really good. Uh, Service was bad. But uh, the food was good. The food was good. Well, that, that's not too bad. And then uh, I have to imagine uh, the uh, the adventure or at least the uh, the long buildup there throughout the month all the way to the U.S. women winning the uh, the World Cup again uh, had to have been a, a pretty interesting thing to cover. Well, when I went there, before I left, I was telling people uh, I didn't say this for print because I didn't want my house to be burned down. But I was thinking that France was going to win the World Cup. I really thought the U.S. would lose that quarterfinal. And I felt that even stronger about that after watching France win their first game against South Korea. They just dominated um, but then France, uh, South Korea wound up not winning the game. So they weren't as good as we thought they were. And France struggled, I think, a little bit with some of the pressure of playing at home for such big crowds. And the U.S., was they just got better every game. You know, covering the women's team is a lot of fun because uh, the women are all great. They're all cooperative. For the most part, they give pretty good quotes. Um, they, they all talk, which is nice. The men's team, not so much. 
Uh, and, and every woman on that team has their own kind of interesting backstory. Um, they all have uh, little adventures, little things back in their life. Jessica McDonald, the only uh, mother on the team. Uh, then you have Megan Rapino coming back from the three knee surgeries and becoming this outspoken leader. You have Carly Lloyd and the chip on her shoulder and, uh, you know, uh, Alicia Nauer trying to, to supplant Hope Solo. Everybody has their own story and they're all eager to talk about it. And again, you know, they're all really cooperative and, and fun to be around and, and they win. So, you know, you couldn't ask for if you got to spend a month with a sports team. That's probably the one that you want to spend a month with. Yeah, it sounds like fun. I I, I said it on uh, on Twitter. You know, following the women's game, I really get to be a fan of the women's team because a lot of time, whenever it comes to the men's team, I have guys who who play for the LA Galaxy who I cover, and so it's just it's easier for me to be a fan of the women's team than anything else. So it was it was you know pure fandom for the whole month. And uh, after Rose Lavelle scored that second goal there in the uh, in the final, um, coming through the middle, I ordered her jersey immediately. So that is that is incoming i'm sure i will be wearing that jersey at one point on this podcast and as soon as it arrives um well, I'm, I'm a big fan uh, rose, of rose is great she is uh she loves dogs for one which is a, a big thing and then she's like a, a big puppy herself she's just so enthusiastic and fun and and you can't get her down i, I got to meet her parents i met becky sauerbrunn's parents um you know they were all uh, really wonderful and and real down-to-earth people. The other thing I'll say about the women's team is, you know, this is a team of international superstars. Right. I mean, I don't, you know, we, we know that they've won four uh, world championships. They played in the last three World Cup finals, uh, which is amazing. And, you know, we have two-time player of the year in Carly Lloyd. Megan Rapinoe has been nominated for it. Alex Morgan finished second. I mean, these are world-class players. Um, but you wouldn't know that from being around them. And, and whereas the people on the men's team, some of the players on the men's team talk a good game about trying to build grassroots soccer and supporting soccer at the grassroots level and all that stuff, not, you know, they, they don't really follow through on that. Um, when they come through the mix zone, you ask them to talk to the media. And, and again, I'm not one of the, we'll talk about this a little bit. I'm not one of those people that's insist that everybody talk to the media that, you know, I know it's in the, it's actually in the contract that you sign with MLS that you're, you're supposed to talk to the media, uh, be available to the media every day. I, I, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think mandating that. But my point is, if you're going to say we're trying to build soccer at the grassroots level, one way to do that is to be accessible to fans and the media. Uh, the men talk a good game, but they never follow through on that. The women, on the other hand, are, uh, you know, they, they put their money where their mouth is. They really believe in trying to build grassroots soccer. You hear them talk all the time. Julie Ernst gave a really impassioned little soliloquy after the final game about we do this for the 12 and 13 year olds who want to take our places. You know, we win World Cup so we can inspire them. Never, ever have I heard a, a male player say anything close to that. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's fun. And then, of course, the LA Galaxy honored uh, honored Alex Morgan at halftime. Uh, she was there. Obviously, her husband, Servando Carrasco, plays for the LA Galaxy. Talked about it last week, how the LA Galaxy actually rearranged some training. Um, and I don't, again, I've never found out if it was specifically for this reason, but it worked out well for Servando Carrasco, who was able to then jet over to France to watch his wife, Alex Morgan, uh, there win the World Cup. So all, all together, uh, you know, an interesting little bit. I know there's been lots of talk about the LA Galaxy, uh, the women academy that the LA Galaxy have um, and whether or not that would translate into you know a professional women's team here in Los Angeles I know there's a ground wall support for it uh, I was actually downstairs at halftime talking to some people and they said hey have you talked to Chris Klein about it and I hadn't run into Chris and so I wanted to ask him that question I you know is there any discussions going on I still haven't got to do it he saw me coming down the hall um, whenever after the game and he he, sl he slid sideways and I don't know if he was trying to avoid me I doubt he was it was it was a 
you know, it was a, a women's soccer question. I don't think he's dodging me. But uh, one of our listeners actually did run into Chris Klein and said, hey, you know, when are we getting a women's soccer team? So I think that the uh, the pressure there is certainly being put upon, um, you know, the LA Galaxy to see if there is something there. Um, you know, there, there's certainly talks of LAFC starting one. Uh, there has there was at least some talk of the LA Galaxy possibly diving into it, although a couple of years ago, whenever I asked, it was it was a non-starter in terms of what it was going. But uh, Kevin, I've always said that if you're going to go out and you're going to spend the type of money that they are on a, on a girls' academy teams um, and on having that, you know, that that professional level, you know, non-pay to play uh, sort of schooling around that women's game, then w- what are you developing them for other than other NWSL teams, other teams around the world or other colleges, really, whenever you do it? Um, and so in my mind, if you're going to spend the money that they're spending on a girls' academy team, um, then why not go ahead and, and start a women's professional team as well? Well, that's kind of what I think everyone just assumed when they started that. There, there's some baggage, though. The, the experiment that uh, AEG had with the Soul and Marta and some of the players that played here with the Soul, uh, it, it, that didn't go well. Um, financially, it was a disaster. The team folded after a very short period of time, didn't really have a ton of support, tried to play some of their games as doubleheaders with MLS. So, um, it, you know, their experiment with women's soccer did not go well. And then across town, they have Mia Hamm, uh, the iconic Mia Hamm, who's – uh, is on the board at, Ace, at at Roma in Italy. She's a part owner of LAFC, and she's made a lot of noise about wanting to head up a, a, a NWSL team in Los Angeles playing under that sort of the umbrella of LAFC. And that's a delicate situation for the NWSL. You certainly don't want to piss off somebody like Mia Hamm. Uh, Mia Hamm says that she is not ready to pull the trigger on this yet because she wants to make sure that this thing is done in an absolutely first-class way and that the, the women's team is not an adjunct to the men's team but is a standalone team. And she said that right now they're not ready to do that. So we'll see where it goes. But it, I have to say one thing uh, for the people that want to get into the NWSL, whether it's the Galaxy, LAFC, or just fans, this is a very difficult uh, and very delicate time. After the World Cup, the, the, the league is really looking for a World Cup bounce they just got the sponsorship deal with Budweiser, which is going to help. They just got the TV contract with ESPN, which right. may or may not help. It's only the rest of the season. It's a very limited amount of games. So it's not like they wrote them a blank check and said, we're on board. It's more like we're ta- we're trying to take advantage of the World Cup bump. But when you see the amount of investment that going into European leagues and European federations, seven of the eight quarterfinalists, in France were European teams and, you know, and they're spending a ton of money in England and France and and now Spain and the Netherlands is going to really ramp up its funding. And why that's important is because I can see a lot of these European, I mean, the best team in the world is the United States and has been for a long time. I can see some of these newly funded European teams. Real Madrid just started a team. They have no players. Why are they not going to come across and, and offer a lot of money to Alex Morgan or, or Rose Lavelle or, or Tobin Heath or any of these players and say, "Look, what are you getting for the NW from the NWSL? We'll triple it. Come on, come on over and play here." And if we know the NWSL, it, with the exception of Portland, we know that they're not drawing a lot of fans. And all of a sudden, if you take all the national team players and they go to Europe. I don't know if the league can survive. This is a very delicate time. Yeah, it, time time for the support if you're there. All right. Um, no, interesting stuff. I know we got into it a little bit last week. Uh, uh, glad that we could, you know, again, highlight it a little bit. But um, really, the the halftime uh, appearance there of Alex Morgan was maybe probably the highlight of the night um, for the LA Galaxy, uh, at least against the San Jose Earthquakes. And we talked about, um, you know, the the fact that the Galaxy went up to San Jose, Kevin, and I, I went up there and, and traveled and, and saw this team in person. And I said, you know, after a 3 nothing 
victory by San Jose, you sat there and said, okay, that wasn't a dominant performance uh, from the San Jose Earthquakes. That wasn't something where you sat there and said, okay, the LA Galaxy got outplayed uh, in that game. It was a one nothing game until the 82nd minute. The Galaxy had chances. They didn't convert them. Uh, they created chances in that game. They had some possession in the midfield. All these things were lining up to say that the LA Galaxy at home with Jonathan Dos Santos and Uriel Antuna back into the lineup after being gone with Mexico and after having that that momentum build with uh, with and, and culminate in Mexico winning the Gold Cup uh, and having those two players, Dos Santos and Antuna, both part of that should have given the LA Galaxy more confidence coming back. The fact that Felcher was going to come back in and, and be a possibility in this lineup and that Shelvick was going to come back in. I mean, all these things were sort of starting to build in the LA Galaxy's favor. And if you looked at, you know, San Jose's away record, Kevin, they only won once on the road coming into this game. All these things were pointing to, in my mind, the LA Galaxy getting a win. Didn't think it was going to be a dominant win, thought it was going to be a very even game, thought it was going to be like a 3-2 something game um, whenever it all came down. But the Galaxy should have come out on top. Um, and that is not what you saw in the second game, not even for a second. And the fact that the two score lines are almost the same is the only similarity that I can find between these two games outside of the fact that San Jose won both of the games as well. Um, the One of the worst performances by the LA Galaxy, and if it makes you feel any better, one of the top performances I've seen in Major League Soccer this year from an opposing team coming in at the LA Galaxy. Um, I thought San Jose played uh, wonderful, beautiful, perfect soccer in a lot of ways. Um, and whatever Almeida was doing, um, Guillermo Barrescoloto wasn't adjusting, and whatever uh, San Jose was doing, the, the LA Galaxy players weren't adjusting. It was a lopsided, um, and if you're an LA Galaxy fan, disgusting affair to watch an LA Galaxy team just sort of roll over after, after by the way, winning at halftime one to nothing here, Kevin. Uh, it, was, it, it has to be disheartening for, for the entire team, for the fan base, and everybody else. And they took a lead, you know, it was one minute and 45 seconds in. It was the fastest goal of the season, uh, second minute. Roth Felcher scoring off a corner kick. And the way, the, the the sequence that set that up, it came on a corner kick, but Jonathan Dos Santos winning possession, driving down the field, um, winning the, you know, the Galaxy winning the corner kick, then Felcher scoring. It really looked like the Galaxy started that game off on the front foot. And who knew that was going to be the highlight? Yeah, that was the highlight. Um, if you go into even just a little bit of Guillermo Barros-Colota's comments after the game, he said the game was lost after 20 minutes. Um, and I agree with that assessment. You could look at what the LA Galaxy did in the first 15, 20 minutes, and they were the dominant team. They were taking it to him. You mentioned Jonathan Dos Santos, who was the top chance creator for the LA Galaxy on the night. Uh, he created two chances. Uh, the only other people who created a chance were Daniel Steres, um, were, let's see, Efrain Alvarez had a chance, and Emmanuel Boateng had a chance. Um, that was it. Uh, and so whenever you look at this LA Galaxy team, again, uh, there's, a, there's some weird things in this. Whenever you look at the stats, you can certainly call out San Jose's dominance. Um, when you look at the possession, it's not as dominant as you expected, but there's a reason for that as well. Uh, the Galaxy did have possession um, in some of these areas and some of these instances, but again, it was possession without an idea. Uh, it was a possession without creativity. Uh, it was possession going backwards, sideways, and everything else uh, because San Jose dominated the center of the field after that 20th minute, um, and, and the Galaxy had no answers, and, and that's, a, that's a scary, scary thing whenever you look at it. I mean, Zlatan Ibrahimovic didn't have a shot. Um, well, in fact, the Gags only had one shot. The Felcher shot was the only one. Felcher, who's a defender, 
also hit the crossbar later. So that's kind of a shot on goal. But uh, it, it actually is a shot on goal, isn't it? Because it hit the goal. It, it's but technically it's it, as yeah. Shot it doesn't count as a shot on goal because the shot on goal, if you don't stop it, has to be a goal, right? And so so, that's so you have a team with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, the, the number three active scorer in in the world right now, over 500 goals, one of the greatest players of all time. You have Fabio Alvarez. You have Jonathan Dos Santos back. You have uh, Antuna back. You have Efrain Alvarez on the field. All these offensive weapons and a, a defender gets your only two shots and your only goal. Um, that's not n- not really a, a good night. And when you mentioned that uh, Scalotto says, uh, w- you know, the game was lost after 20 minutes. Hey, you know what? You're the coach. You got 70 minutes to figure it out. And, and you got halftime as well in the, in the middle of that 70 minutes. You're admitting that you knew after 20 minutes that uh, the game was lost and there's nothing that you could do to fix that. Aren't you the coach? Yeah. No, I mean, it, there's certainly some of that. And, and I think that, uh, you know, the the uh what is it the the grace period on Guillermo Barrascolotto sort of the the honeymoon period with GBS now uh is is waning um and certainly the results of the last five or six games have put a damper on those on those those results and on uh GBS's term so far here um I think that uh in many ways this LA Galaxy team highlighted their biggest strength and their biggest weakness uh in this game and their biggest strength is playing direct um, they have been all year. It's about getting the ball up to Zlatan Ibrahimovic. It's about getting it out to the wings and getting it crossed back into Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Anything else the LA Galaxy are trying to do right now doesn't work. Uh, the possession game doesn't work for the LA Galaxy. In fact, I, I, I've been I've been sort of posturing about this and, and trying to figure. I will actually go look this up. I swear this is something that's been in my mind. But I, I think you're going to find this whenever you go back and look at the LA Galaxy's wins. I think you're going to find that in in all of the Galaxy's wins, they never had the uh, they never had. Uh, uh, the possession advantage that they always ceded possession to the other team. And that's because the LA galaxy are a better counter attacking team. And that doesn't mean they're fast and it doesn't mean that they're, you know, this blinding speed thing, but what it is, is it means they're direct. Um, and Guillermo Barrascolotto, I, I talked to him after the Toronto game because I said, you know, after that game, Kevin, I asked him and I said, you know, it seemed like the team really showed patience in that game because that was a game that the Galaxy held a little more possession. It was a game that they, you know, didn't create a lot of chances with, but with the chances they finally had in the second half, Slatan Ibrahimovic was able to score twice. Um, you know, all those things made sense. So they were they were they were patient with creating those chances. But even whenever you look at those chances and how they scored, those are still for the most part direct chances. But I asked Guillermo afterwards, I said, you know, is that part of it is to have more patience or, you know, playing direct or anything else and blah blah blah. The whole the whole thing, right? Um, so, so you look at that and you say, okay, in this game, when did they have the most? Well, offset pieces, by the way, I think that was the sixth goal from a, from a corner. The LA Galaxy have scored this year. By the way, they've allowed none, um, which is which is interesting in, in terms of uh, from corner kicks. Um, so you look at all these things that that the Galaxy do well, and in this game, San Jose was able to figure out what the LA Galaxy do well and to neutralize that. And then with Jonathan Dos Santos coming back, Kevin, uh, you certainly saw that he created the most chances, but that he was also uh, pretty much gassed in that second half and was given so much defensive responsibility that trying to get him forward into the attack uh, doesn't work great for the LA Galaxy. This is where uh, possibly looking at missing Perry Kitchen, who uh, apparently picked up an injury again in training. Um, and I'm told, and I swear to God, I have never, uh, Kevin, have you ever heard of a pelvis injury? Yeah, well, I mean, you have a pelvis. I suppose I, you could injure it. You can injure it, right? So you, if, if you're paying attention, which I'm sure some people are, some people aren't, um, Sebastian Legette was diagnosed with a pelvis injury. Um, that's what's keeping him out right now, although he's back to training and, and he should be uh, available for this LAFC game. That's at least the, the timeline that Guillermo gave everybody last week. Um, so I was told that Perry Kitchen also has a pelvis injury. 
Um, Maybe it's contagious. I have no idea what it is. I, Maybe they should wear those like surgical masks. Can't, can't you training, just, don't not they, breathe on each other. Don't they have some like antibiotics for that or something? Can't you just get rid of that? But anyway, I'm also told it's a pelvis injury, which was interesting. So not having Perry Kitchen in there, in my mind, while Joe Corona did a very good job defensively, in fact, led the LA Galaxy in tackles um, in this match. Uh, he was, he, you could have possibly in order to free somebody like Jonathan Dos Santos up, uh, you know, moved Corona out a little bit, taken Efrain Alvarez off, um, and then inserted Perry kitchen to allow Jonathan Dos Santos to go forward. Because I think that's, if you watch the Mexico games with, with Jonathan Dos Santos, Kevin, um, he, he can get forward. He can score goals. He can be part of the offense, but the LA galaxy in the formation they're playing right now are not allowing him to get forward. Um, and when he did get forward, you saw the chances that he created. Well, I think you hit right. Uh, you hit the nail on the head with the formation thing. By the way, I'm going to check and see if Obamacare covers pelvis injuries because yes. you got me worried. Now I'm around the team, and <laughs> I might pick. You know, I might catch this, whatever it is. But uh, you know, I, when you talk about or we talk about Scalotto sort of not having an answer for this, it, trying to argue the other side, give him the little bit of the benefit of the doubt. He does not want to play the way they're playing right now. They're playing a four-two-three-one. That's not what he played in Boca. That's not what he likes. That's not the kind of formation he played as a player. I don't think he likes the idea of a lone striker. I think he really wants to play a 4-3-3. Everybody in the world that's successful right now, from LAFC to Manchester City to Barcelona, they're all playing 4-3-3. I think that's what he wants to play. And I think when you look at the players they're bringing in, Antuna, Fabio Alvarez, they're they're still trying to get Christian Pavone. Those are players that fit into that kind of formation. He can't play that right now because of why? The 800-pound gorilla in the room, Salatan, cannot play that. That's why uh, you know Ola Kamara is no longer here. They can't play that kind of formation with Salatan. They need to play the lone striker. And so I think it does two things. I, I think it takes away from the strength. I think they have some players like Antuna. And remember the, the game that uh, that the Galaxy played and won at home when uh, Zlatan was hurt at the beginning of the season. And Tuna played really well in that game. And you could see the kind of spark that uh, that he would bring to a team if they were able to play a different kind of formation. And again, I think that's what, what uh, Guillermo is comfortable with. That's what he wants to play, but he can't play that right now. Um, and as he keeps building the team that he wants, you can see that the Galaxy are moving in that direction. Again, with especially if they, if they wind up landing Pavone. Um, but right now they have Zlatan and, and he's going to be on the field and he's the captain and he's the major guy. And I think they have to tailor the team to him, even if that's not the best way for them to play with the talent they have. Yeah, I, I mean, we've I, I think we've talked about it enough on on all the shows, you know, this year is that, you know, really, you know, Guillermo Barascolotto is building a team for next year. Um, you know, having said that, they want to make the playoffs this year. They're still in that position. Um, but this game is is, again, it, it's just indicative of what the Galaxy do really well and what they what they do poorly. And, and one of the things they do poorly is that under under GBS right now, the majority of your offense creation comes from the outside backs. It's Rolf Felcher, it's Jorgen Shelvick. And those guys can, if you're going to make them defenders only, they can play defense just fine. Uh, Felcher, in my mind at least right now, Kevin, Felcher in my mind is probably a better offensive creator than Julian Araujo, although it's almost even. I think Araujo is probably a better defender than than Felcher is. Um, so, you know, you look at this game and what Felcher was able to do on the right-hand side in the offensive zone, and you're like, okay, that makes some sense why he was there. Um, but the problem is that he was also paired with, uh, you know, 17-year-old Efrain Alvarez in front of him. So Felcher had zero defensive cover for the entire night because Efrain Alvarez, for all of his positives, uh, does not play defense. Um, and, and he's 
he's not he's not really quick enough to play defense. That's one of the reasons that you know he's a, you you can see sort of that deficiency um, in him. And so uh, as we've talked before, with any 17 year old you're going to have there right now, you're it's going to be inconsistent. And this was one of Alvarez's. Uh, you know, non, non-existent games. He was MIA for this entire game as far as I'm concerned. He created one chance. Uh, I think it might have even been on a set piece because it was a good ball in. Um, but that was about it for for the LA Galaxy and, and, and what you got out of Efrain Alvarez. I mean, Joe Corona had a bunch of tackles. We talked about him. Uh, Fabio Alvarez was MIA in this game. Uh, I think I wrote in my story, and maybe this is fair, maybe this is not fair, but I said that uh, between Efrain and Fabio Alvarez, you were more likely to find him on a milk carton than any dangerous position in this play, in this particular game. Um, well, but- and, and Zlatan had 63% passing efficiency, uh, passing accuracy. I mean, he's supposed to be a good passer. That's uh, that's not a good night for him. No, and, and the Galaxy really, I mean, didn't have a great passing accuracy night whenever you, uh, whenever you look at it, but um, 81% total in passing. Uh, they had almost... Uh, it was 383 passes to 450 for San Jose. Uh, in the attacking half, San Jose had 300 passes inside of the LA Galaxy's attacking half. The LA Galaxy had 213 inside of San Jose's. Uh, you look at the final third, 73% passing accuracy from San Jose with 138 passes inside the final third. The LA Galaxy, 63%. Uh, passing accuracy with 105 chances inside. Crosses. The LA Galaxy got one 50% of their crosses. The problem is they put in six, so they won three. Um, You look at the San Jose Earthquakes, and they had 40% accuracy. Uh, Basically, they put in 18 crosses whenever all this came in. The the thing, I think everybody freaked out a little bit. You remember the games a couple, uh, a while ago, Kevin? Uh, The LA Galaxy had like, you know, 22 or 27 crosses in a game. Um, and everybody was like, "How you can't just keep that up. Just going up the wings and crossing into Zlatan is not the way to win. But I'll tell you this, the way to lose is to certainly not put in any crosses from the wing as well. Um, and I think the LA Galaxy were, were definitely guilty of that. Um, and and it's it's obvious to me that you know being a counter-attacking slash more direct team for the LA Galaxy is the way to play. Uh, it allows the, the outside backs to stay home a little bit more, which gives you a better defensive coverage. Um, and it also takes advantage of Zlatan Ibrahimovic and you know some the other players that can make late late in runs or, or late arriving runs. So for me in this game, um, it, you have to tip your hat to San Jose. I think if you're the Galaxy, if you're a Galaxy fan right now, you should you should sit there and say, okay, listen, the Galaxy don't match up against well against San Jose. They didn't play well against San Jose, and San Jose dominated them. If, if that makes you feel any better, um, then then I think that's good. I think they match up against other teams, you know, much better. But that doesn't mean that I, I don't think this team is broken because this seems like there is a huge issue with this LA Galaxy team. Um, it, it certainly is, you know, has to do with con- consistency. Um, I think it has to do with creativity and the attacking options. And I think that the, the lack of creativity and attacking options in the final third is definitely hurting the LA Galaxy. Um, so I, I and then the, the real big question for me is leadership on this team, which I, I find none of right now. Well, let me ask you this. When you, part of my article, what I tried to get, and I think people misunderstood it, maybe I didn't explain it well, but it seems to me that the the, the Galaxy attack is built around Zlatan. I mean, I th- yeah. think we can all agree with that. And he was taken out of the game. And, and I don't mean he wasn't trying. He wasn't trying to play well. He was. But San Jose's game plan took him out of the game. Out of the game. And you look at, Zlatan has 13 of the team's 27 goals this season. When he scores... Uh, he scored in 10 games this year. The Galaxy have won eight. Uh, when he doesn't score, they've lost. Uh, they have only won three times. So if you look at all that, st- all those statistics, you say, look, if we can neutralize Zlatan, 
the Galaxy do not have a backup plan. They're, they don't go to anybody else. The ball comes down. It's crossings a lot of time. That's how they score. If we can neutralize him, it's like an NFL team. If we take away the running attack and force them to pass, we think that we're going to do better. Um, it seems to me that it, it was a one-sided game statistically all the way through, and we'll talk about uh, Bingham's game in a little bit. Right. They peppered the the goal uh, with shots. Uh, they did, you know, passing accuracy was better. But I'm wondering if that all stems from the fact that Zalatan was non-existent and that when the, the Galaxy didn't have him to go to, everything else fell apart. Yeah, I, I, w- I, I would say that, yeah, I think, you know, if you're saying that San Jose's game plan was to limit service to him, um, then then I say, yeah, they did a good job because they, they really kept the outside backs from, from getting forward and putting in those crosses and finding those situations. Um, so, you know, in my mind, then then you tip your hat to San Jose because they didn't do it. But also, I don't think the Galaxy tried to get... You look at that. They put six crosses in the entire night, Kevin. That's that's not an LA Galaxy team that's successful. An LA Galaxy team that's successful puts 20 crosses in from the side. And yes, it might, might be frustrating to people to say, you know, hey, try a different idea. But the bottom line is they're getting into the box and they're getting those crosses in and they're creating those chances. They didn't create those chances. So if your argument is that San Jose did a good job of limiting those crosses and thereby limiting... Zlatan's, you know, uh, availability and sort of his way of, uh, of scoring, um, then yeah, I think that makes sense. I also think that, you know, by keeping and, and not allowing Jonathan Dos Santos to get forward, um, that San Jose did a good job. I mean, they were, the Galaxy were dominated in the middle of the field. Uh, you know, uh, G- GBS said so after the game. Um, you know, I, I don't remember who asked the question, but somebody asked. Um, he says, uh, GBS said, and I quote, he says, I think they beat us in this area, the middle. They were better at receiving and applied the pressure very fast when they lost the ball. We never could break the pressure we couldn't get the ball this was this is interesting because uh if you remember going back to the minnesota game and that was the game you were talking about kevin where oriel and tuna started and zlatan ibrahimovic wasn't there um but you go back to that game and one of the things that the uh that the minnesota coach said afterwards is that he goes we couldn't keep up with the pace uh it was too fast um it was too much it was too quick we couldn't break the pressure all those things here's the la galaxy basically admitting the same thing i mean joe corona talked to us afterwards and said yeah you know that their high pressure kept the kept the la galaxy from from making uh from making passes through the middle um that was as much a success as anything else uh, that San Jose did in this particular game. But let's let's the, the the one highlight that I can really see in this game, and the one guy who deserves to keep his head pretty high in this entire thing is David Bingham, who ended up having a career night. Um, it wasn't a career night, probably in the way that he wanted, but these are positive numbers for him. That's not like you know the most goals given up in a career or anything like that. But uh, San Jose launched 32 shots. Um, on the night. They had 16 shots on goal. David Bingham is credited with 14 saves on the night. Um, that those are That's a career high for him. In fact, I think his previous career high was nine, um, and his most with the LA Galaxy was six. So the saves that he made, 14 saves, uh, was amazing. And by the way, without David Bingham, this game is eight, eight to one, um, you know, maybe more. Um, well, it wasn't just a career night. It was a historic night. I went back and looked at the MLS records, and you and I were talking before the podcast if he gave up three goals and there were 16 shots on goal, then he only had 13 saves. So there's a problem in the math. I think actually probably there were 17 shots on goal. But in any case, let's just go with what the stats say. 14 saves. That's second most, tied for second most in MLS history. It's been since 1997, 22 years since somebody's had more than 14 saves in an MLS game. That was Tony Miola uh, back in 1997. Um, if you talk about the shots faced, and now shot, he faced, there were 32 shots, but he, uh, apparently there is a difference. Uh, the MLS and their record keeping only counts shots on target as shots faced. So if you look at, he, he, supposedly he faced 16, 
that is tied for third most all time. Evan Bush of Montreal faced uh, 19 shots last year against LAFC, and then Tony Miola and Matt Doherty, both in the in 1997 season, faced 17. So this is the second most number of shots faced, tied for second most in 22 years. That's the kind of um, it, it's a historic night. Yeah, it's a career night for him. But it's a historic night, and when you look at the MLS record book, and so what, what did David Bingham tell you about his historic night after the game, Josh? Oh, uh, uh, we get to the uh, the fun post game uh, that we had uh, for there. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you right now. So, uh, so Guillermo Barros, let's 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 break it down in order so that way we understand the the series of events that that happened here. Um, we we went to the press conference. Guillermo Barros Coloto came in and talked to us actually pretty quickly. I'll say that for the most part, uh, PR limited those those questions. I, I think we got as, about as they normally do. Yeah, but even. Small more, this felt shorter than normal. I think there were about four total questions. I asked two. Um, so we got in there, and I think maybe four or five questions, and that was it. Um, and so there were no more questions after that. I'm sure we could have talked. And we have to uh, – I don't mean to cut you off, yeah. but uh, just – I'm going to make the point that, yes, he answered the questions, and the questions were limited. Both of those things are true. But the, what really stood out to me is he didn't have any answers to the questions. It yeah. was like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Yeah. I, I knew something was wrong. It wasn't like – you know, this is what happened, and I tried to make the change, and it didn't work. And no, it was like I had you basically throwing his hands up and saying, "I have absolutely no idea what just happened." Yeah, and he said, "You know, hey, it's gonna it's gonna take us a little time to 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 sit there and analyze that stuff." And it's like, okay, I get that, no problems, but that's fine. He talked to us. Uh, we then quickly made our way to the locker room. Again, this is happening in a more condensed schedule than probably happens normally, Kevin. Um, you know, the the timing that we're used to is that Guillermo usually takes a while to get there, um, but in this particular case, he was there pretty quickly. We got through. We got over to the locker room. They let us into the locker room right away. Here's what we asked for whenever we got into the locker room. Uh, me specifically. I requested Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I requested uh, David Bingham. And I requested Jonathan Dos Santos. Um, now, let me interject here. Yes. That, uh, again, I'm going to say I, d I do not agree with this rule that says that players are uh, required to speak. But the rule is, it, and it's in the contract that every player signs with MLS, that every player is available after after every team function, whether it's a press conference, whether it's a, a practice, whether it's a game, every player is to be made available. That's why the team asks us who we want to speak to. And then it's especially galling when the the guy who is the captain, in this case, Lapton, wearing the armband, is supposed to be the spokesperson for the team. And then you want to call him vice captain or backup captain or whatever it is, Jonathan Dos Santos. Those are the two guys who are spokespersons for the team. Uh, if they come out and speak to us after they won eight to nothing, well, that's great, but that's not uh, difficult to do. When they get their butts handed to them like this one, you know, we need an explanation from a team leader. And go ahead. Yeah. Uh, you yeah pick yeah. up with the narrative there. Yeah. So, anyway, so requested as soon as we requested Zlatan Ibrahimovic, we were told he was no longer in the building. Um, as in he had already left. So in the and, and the reason I told you it was a condensed timeline in terms of we were actually moving pretty quickly means that Zlatan Ibrahimovic took the world's fastest shower um, and exited the building before the press could ever be let into the building. Um, or so, maybe he didn't take a shower. Maybe he maybe, wasn't sweaty after his performance. Maybe not. I have no idea. We don't know because we didn't talk to him and we didn't find out. So he was gone. Um, we asked for Jonathan Dos Santos, who I saw in that locker room. Uh, Jonathan Dos Santos did not speak to us inside of the locker room whenever we made that request all right now we were told that that was it who we did speak to was Rolf Felcher um, and Joe Corona by the way 
those guys get like you know tips of the hat. That's great. They talked to us. That was that was great. It was great to talk to Rolf because he scored the goal. That's why it was important. Joe Corona gave us some good insight into what happened in the midfield. That's good as well. But you still need to probably talk to one of the two you know captains. Really, Jonathan Dos Santos or Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Jonathan Dos Santos has a longer story. We'll, we'll talk. We'll, we'll continue this after that. Um, I asked for David Bingham as well. Um, whenever Rolf Felcher came in and started talking to us, I saw LA Galaxy PR people go over and speak to David Bingham and David Bingham uh, loud enough for me to hear certainly and looking across the room said no way I'm not talking to anybody uh, and then went into the shower so we did not get David Bingham as well um, so so we got Rolf Felcher we got Joe Corona we got two players after the Galaxy's most embarrassing loss of the season um, and that that was all we got now there's even more to the story and we're going to go back and talk about it a little bit more, too, because there's there's a bigger issue here whenever you talk about leadership and everything else that's going on. Um, what we, we got those two players. Yeah. Can I add just yeah. one bit of perspective? I want to go back to the women's national team for a second. Uh, people may be thinking, well, a difficult lo- a loss, you know, uh, normally players don't speak. I was there when the U.S. women's national team lost in the quarterfinals of the Olympics when they lost to Sweden. The earliest exit for a U.S. team ever in an international tournament. That was the the, the Hope Solo Cowards game when when Sweden played, uh, you know, bunkered down and played for penalty kicks. It was a very difficult game for everybody on the U.S. national team. All the women went through the mix zone. They all spoke. Alex Morgan spoke through tears, just sobbed the entire interview. The point is they spoke. So I just want to go back and make sure that people understand that the, the idea that David Bigham says, I'm not talking to anyone, and Zalatan takes his armband and leaves early, that's not the way it's supposed to happen, and that's not the way uh, a lot of teams handle their business. Yeah, so okay, so we so we get Rolf Felcher again. Uh, we're going to give as much credit, and we're even going to give credit to David Bingham as well. We, we have some thoughts on that. We'll, we're not going to just plaster people for, for no reason. Um, you know, the Rolf Felcher coming in and talking to us was great. Joe Corona was talking. We were then told by LA Galaxy PR that that was it, that nobody else would be talking um, this particular day. Um, so we asked about Jonathan Dos Santos, told us that he wasn't coming, um, you know, all that stuff. So we exited the locker room. I then made my way from the locker room back through the Champions Lounge, back out onto the field, and back upstairs into the press where we uh, attempted to uh, to write our stories and put all our stuff. My Corner of the Galaxy recap is up there right now. You're going to have another story by Larry Morgan that should be uh, up on the website here shortly as well. So, those were the people that we got talked to. That's how we did it. Now, uh, there was apparently some talking done by Jonathan Dos Santos. And so as Jonathan Dos Santos was being led either away to a per- personal appearance where he had to talk to somebody um, or back from that personal appearance uh, was being escorted by LA Galaxy PR. Uh, the Spanish speaking media who was covering the San Jose side of things saw Jonathan Dos Santos um, and then went up to him and basically uh, in a little bit of an ambush. And by the way, I tip my hat to them for doing this as well, um, but, you know, got him. Uh, to speak so he did end up speaking to some media whenever that when uh, you know after the game about the game um, so I, I guess that's a that's that's a positive there that eventually he did speak the fact that he didn't do it in in the way that we're supposed to have it done is is another sort of uh, interesting thing and the fact that the LA Galaxy um, whenever they provided quotes for everybody didn't provide uh, Jonathan Dos Santos's quotes either um, you know that's sort of uh, again it's just it's well, p- part of the thing yeah a couple of things about that. In, uh, in addition to uh, being ambushed, he was be under. Uh, he was being escorted by a Galaxy uh, communications person. Uh, the same, uh, not the same person necessarily, but the same communications department that told us that Jonathan, no way, no how, no uh, no possibility would speak to us. This communications spokesperson 
when the Mexican, when the, now, I don't mean to say Mexican, when the Spanish speaking media came up to Jonathan in the hallway, um, this person relented and said, okay, yeah, sure. Go ahead and speak. You're allowed to speak. Wouldn't, wouldn't the response have been, look, you didn't talk to the beat writers. You didn't talk to the guys who are here every day. You're not going to talk to these people, but no, Jonathan was allowed to speak, which is fine. That's the way it should be. He should have spoke. But another thing too, is the hallway that Jonathan was going down is the one that leads directly away from the champions lounge. So those of you who pay the big bucks to go to the champions lounge after the game, uh, to see the players, to shake hands with the players, get autographs, selfies, whatever it is that you do there. Know that Galaxy uh, uh, staffers are leading players aw- down hallways away from you so that the players do not have to interact with you if they don't want to do that. And uh, Jonathan is by no means the only player that's done that this season. There's right. been a lot. For the most part, Zalatan, from what I've seen, seems to go through. Uh, obviously, he goes through after wins, not so much after losses. But just so you know, the Galaxy actually – uh, kind of a little bit uh, working against your interest after you've written those big checks to get into the Champions Lounge. They're taking the star players away from you. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things. Okay, so now let's get to the to the bigger issue because them not talking to us in itself is not a is not that big of a deal. Um, I think you know it, it showed, but it shows something, and I think people keep pushing back on me whenever I say it shows something. Um, I can remember. Uh, throughout the time with Landon Donovan, with David Beckham, with Robbie Keane. Those guys spoke after every game, Kevin. I don't remember those guys missing stuff. If they missed stuff, it was like, hey, they have an appearance uh, that they have to go do right now. And so, hey, we're going to we're gonna skip. We're just this one time. We're not going to talk. Or, hey, you have to talk to Landon real quick because he's got an appearance. And so they would shove him into the into the, to the to the scrum real quick. We'd talk to him for like, you know, two or three minutes, and then we'd let him go and we'd get him out of there. All that stuff, all right? Uh, the reason I bring up those names is because uh, it, it seems to me that, that and I said it, it leading up to this game is that the Galaxy are lacking leadership. Uh, if you go through and probably pull... And, the, and accountability. And accountability. Thing, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, maybe it is. I, I don't know. I don't know how you parse it. But um, you sit there and say, okay, so who are the Galaxy's three three leaders whenever you look at this and and I'm going to make the case for David Bingham being one of those uh, because he's a goalkeeper because he's in charge of of, you know organizing the team in front of him and because he's come out and said that he wants to be a leader and wants to sort of be this guy that that people can rely on as he's trying to you know be that rock at the back and he was the rock at the back and that he's he has nothing nothing and nobody to blame um, except for all the guys in front of him he did his job against his former team um, and so all of that you know, leads up to, to David Bingham being somewhat excused from this, although I, I think it would have been better had he talked to us. Um, but the other two leaders and the clear leaders on this team are Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who people certainly question whether or not he should be captain, Kevin, all the time. And you and I said that Jonathan Dos Santos would be the better captain on this team. Um, but Zlatan Ibrahimovic is supposed to be a leader on this team, and he doesn't want to step up and sort of, um, you know, say what happened in this game and, and take accountability and say, yeah, you know, we didn't play well. Um, you know, this wasn't, the, we need to get better. Um, but the way he's been sort of uh, hedging his comments lately, Kevin, I'm sure that there may have come out to another argument about one, the Galaxy are going to make the playoffs, so stop worrying about it. And two is that, um, you know, that MLS isn't that good of a league, and he's really sort of taken a sour turn on MLS and everything else here in the last probably three or four weeks. Um, so looking at all that, I don't know how much you get, but Jonathan Dos Santos, again, we've argued that he should be a leader, Kevin, and he doesn't want to talk either. Um, this, to me, it feels like there's a leadership void. I've never... Well, I mean, I've felt it since Bruce Arena left, and this goes throughout the entire organization. But when Bruce Arena was in charge of the LA Galaxy, Kevin, there was no doubt about it. Every In everything the LA Galaxy did, you knew who was in charge, and that was Bruce Arena. Um, he was the leader. He was the leader on the field, off the field, in the locker room, in the front office. Bruce Arena was the leader. 
They have not had one of those since Bruce Serena left. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic isn't that. Uh, it certainly isn't, you know, Jonathan Del Santos. I don't think that, that Guillermo Barros-Scalotto is carrying that that torch right now, especially whenever I think, and this is my personal opinion, that the the LA Galaxy organization as a whole, including the coaches, are scared to death of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Um, so having said all of that, there it feels like there's this big, giant, gaping hole where the LA Galaxy leadership should be, and there is none, and you see it on the field and off the field right now. Well, let's go back to Bruce, because I agree with you. Uh, Bruce set the tone, and, and this is why Bruce has been so successful, by the way. Everybody knows I'm a big arena guy, so to, so take these comments as you will. But, um, you know, Bruce set the tone. There were there were, were no excuses. Um, the sun was not in your eyes. You, you know, you're paid a, a lot of money, go out there and perform. And so what happened? It, down in the locker room, you had people like A.J. De La Garza, Omar Gonzalez. You mentioned Robbie Keane. Uh, it kind of blew up a little bit in the Gerard era. They kind of got away from that a little bit. There were a little bit, and, and I think Steven was part of that. But there, there were a little bit of... Um, these guys aren't good enough or, you know, there, there were excuses. But for the most part during Bruce's tenure, there were not. And the players saw that. They saw the coach standing up and they stood up too. You didn't get excuses from Landon or David or Robbie Keane. You know, I, Omar Gonzalez, who came up under Bruce, um, when he committed the own goal in the World Cup qualifier against Trinidad and Tobago, he came out and spoke afterwards. He did. I mean, that would have been the one guy you could have said, look, Omar's too distraught. He's not going to speak. He came up under Bruce. He knew that he had an obligation to come out and explain himself, and he did. And it was a, one of the more difficult interviews I've ever had. The point is these guys were accountable. They stood up. They explained themselves, and that came from Bruce. So now Bruce leaves. Nobody in the organization is prepared to do that. Chris Klein every once in a while will come forward and, and give a cliched quote of, like, we need to do better and we're all about winning. But I have to tell you, uh, you know, and I, I don't mean to make this a dig at Chris, but when he when he talks, it, it doesn't feel sincere. And, and then after he speaks, you start to find out that he's going around looking for excuses and finding out who to blame rather than say, I'm not doing the right job. I'm the president. The buck stops with me. I'm going to fix it. That's what Bruce did. And you kind of feel like this Galaxy team, and it was very true the first year without Bruce, the Kurt Anoffel, Ziggy Schmidt year, when things went south in a hurry, everybody in the front office was pointing figures at everybody else. Um, and it was a very toxic environment. And you kind of feel that now. Nobody is standing up. No one's taking the blame. And so if no one is standing up and no one's being the leader, there's nobody to follow. Um, you know, when the leader stands up, then you follow them and say, that's right. the guy I want to be in the foxhole with. You don't have that. And then the final thing is, and, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this too, but my sense is that there is a real divide in the locker room. Um, I, I do think people are afraid to take on Zlatan. I, I do feel like a lot of players are kind of unhappy with the act of you don't get me the ball, therefore you suck and, and you're not any good and I need to have the ball to score and that's how we win. Um, I'm not so sure that's the best strategy, but that's the way Zalatan acts on the field, and I don't think any players feel like they can question him. And then there's another thing, too. When you look at all the players that Dennis and Guillermo have brought in, and I'm not questioning the talent, and I'm not questioning what Guillermo is doing with the team. He's trying to build the team that he feels comfortable with. But when you look at who he's bringing in, Giancarlo Gonzalez, um, Fabio Alvarez, Uriel Antuna, Joe Corona, they're all Latin American players. Um, many that he had uh, is familiar with uh, from South America. The whole coaching staff now, Spanish speaking, there are a number of players on this team, veterans that have been there for a while, who are not Spanish proficient, 
um, who feel like they're being passed by, that their opinion doesn't matter. They're not, a, they don't get to play all that much. They're, uh, they, they feel like they're second class citizens in their own locker room. And, and this is, not, I don't mean to make this into sort of a, uh, uh, not even a racial, an ethnic thing. I'm just saying that the locker room feels split. Like uh, there's a group over here and there's a group over there and, and we're not on the same page. And we're not playing the same way. And that's up to Guillermo in the front office to to make those players feel like they're part of the same project. And I just get the feeling that a lot of players don't feel like they're part of the team anymore. Yeah, I, I will. Uh, so I have two thoughts on that and they are completely at odds with each other. So I, I don't know how good I am at, at trying to, to, to either agree or disagree with you. I'll agree. Um, I'll say that there's a divide in there. I think certainly with some of the guys I've talked to um, that you see it. I, I think, you know, Zlatan actually does a good job of bridging the, 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 the divide in a lot of cases because uh, that's a guy who speaks multiple languages and, and can sort of come in here and, and you know, uh, mess around with the guys in Spanish, uh, can give uh, can give crap to the guys in English. Like the, he's just, he, he really is off the field in terms of in the locker room and, and different things. I've always heard great things about Zlatan Ibrahimovic um, in terms of what the guys say about him, that he's just like a normal guy whenever he comes in. Now, um, that divide, though, is, is certainly there. Here's, here's, here's the other part of that, though, um, and, and something that, that John Rojas and I talked about uh, before. He obviously moved to the East Coast and abandoned me at the games now, and I just talked to myself and Larry. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that he says, you know what? If you go to another country, you have to learn another language. He goes, so these guys, the, the guys who are complaining, the guys who are saying that, you know, hey, I don't, I don't speak Spanish and all this, they should be learning Spanish. They should be doing this. And I said, I, I agree with that. But if you're going to another country, um, then you understand that that's always part of the, the deal whenever you go. And you understand that that's going to be part of it. And you're going to have to learn the language and do all that stuff. You know, for a lot of these guys, they didn't know who the coach was going to be. Um, and so it's one of those things. I don't think... I think if you're a player that doesn't speak Spanish, um, I think you go out there and you take Spanish lessons and you do as much as you can so that way you can be as included in all these conversations as possible. And I think that only helps your career down the long road anyway. Uh, but it's an adjustment you have to make and it's an adjustment that may leave you on the outside looking in um, for a little bit. So, you know, it, I, I, it's two ways for me. I understand that. I understand it changes, Kevin. I understand all those things happen. You're bilingual. Uh, you can you can speak Spanish, understand Spanish. I am, I am so used unilingual it's ridiculous but uh even me i pay I, you know i took spanish in high school i understand some of the basics and stuff like that and whenever uh there's spanish speaking uh players now i find myself and when guillermo whenever he speaks in spanish as well paying closer attention to immersing myself within that understanding what they're trying to say i can pick keywords out of that stuff and i can understand the gist of what's going on and the more i keep listening and the more attention i keep paying you know the better i'm getting at understanding what they're saying in spanish so so that stuff so it's about all of that stuff stuff working together you're the the teams have always been clicky um i think you can go back all the way to when david beckham was on the team um that the teams were clicky i, I will tell you this i think that winning you know sort of dissolves all those clicks um and all that division goes away if you're winning uh, if you're not playing well then there's lots of excuses that go around right now um and and for me that that you know that could be an issue but it's also something that if the galaxy start winning that stops being an issue as well and give Guillermo credit. He does all of his press now in English. Um, he he his English is a work in progress, but he's making the effort. Um, so it's not Guillermo's fault in communicating with us. Uh, I just wonder how much uh, it, uh, of the instruction on the it, field here, here, is can, done in Spanish. I can give you some of that, a little insight, because I have had some you know off the record conversations with multiple people um, that Guillermo is not the issue on this. Uh, Guillermo will speak to English, uh, speak in English to the guys who don't speak Spanish, uh, who reaches out, who tries to make people inclusive and all that. I would say the rest of the coaching staff, though, uh, that can be an issue. 
Um, so Guillermo is trying to bridge that divide as, as much as possible. And, you know, you see his English has gotten better. He used to have, um, you know, uh, basically a translator sitting next to him for all these press conferences when we started. Um, and, and she's not there anymore. So we don't, we don't have her because he's like, he's comfortable enough in English now that he will, he will figure it out. If not, he'll, he'll ask a question to sort of clarify and then answer the question. He's, he does very well. Um, it's not Guillermo on this stuff. It, it feels like it, it might be more the coaching staff and and how that works. And, uh, and maybe the you know the, and the problem is probably being blown up a little bit by us right now. Oh but, yeah, uh, over the over the ethnic thing because you know you bring in Diego Pol- Polenta, you spend a ton of money to bring him in. He comes in, he immediately starts. He takes uh, a starting position away from a player who was here, um, and uh, all of a sudden resentment begins to form and. And it's difficult sometimes for players to say, hey, that guy's just better than me. A lot of times it's like, oh, yeah, well, the coach speaks Spanish, and so he speaks Spanish, and that's why he's here. You know what? If they brought in, if they brought in Walker Zimmerman at the same salary and made him the starting center back, everyone would say, well, obviously, you know, he's, he's, he's a better. national yeah. player. He's, yeah. he's better. He's getting a big salary. You can't sit him on the bench. Uh, but when you have that ability to, to say to make it about something else, um, uh, uh, you know, a lot of times that, and then that resentment begins to – to feed on itself. And rather than saying, I'm just going to work harder and be better than Walker Zimmerman, you say, Hey, I don't speak Spanish. doesn't matter what I do. And so it's a, uh, it's a no win situation. Yeah. You can, again, it gets used as an excuse whenever it's there to be used. Uh, if it's not, I mean, look at the opposite of that, which is you talk about Diego Polenta coming in and starting right away, right? Look at Giancarlo Gonzalez who comes in and doesn't start. And everybody was like, "Where? why isn't he starting? And it was, oh, because Daniel Stairs has been playing better. Um, and Daniel Stairs continues to play at you know one of the highest levels of any defender. By the way, Daniel Stairs gets injured on the third goal that the uh, San Jose Earthquakes score. Um, and if he's not injured on that play, he probably makes that play because he was the closest person to that ball. Um, he got subbed out you know, 90 seconds after this, after this happened uh, because he couldn't run on it anymore. I'm, I'm told, um, at least anecdotally so far, is that Daniel Stairs, you know, feeling a lot better after the game on uh, on Saturday than he was on Friday night after this particular injury. It looks, I think it was a right leg or a left leg, but it's like an ankle foot injury. Uh, we didn't get any updates on it because, again, limited questions for from Guillermo. That's usually one that you would save towards the end because it's not necessarily, you know, uh, super material to everything. You just want to get an update so you can understand it. But Daniel Starris has been, you know, arguably the LA Galaxy's most consistent defender. Um, and so, you know, seeing him go down with any type of injury, uh, especially against a, a big game uh, coming up against LAFC, is, is going to be difficult. Understanding that the LA Galaxy have Diego Polenta back off yellow card suspension uh, and that he could also pair with Gio Carlo Gonzalez there as well if Daniel Starris can't go. So that's just... Uh, another little thing. Here's here's my biggest argument or, or the biggest deal with all this leadership stuff that we're talking about, Kevin, and, and, and sort of the gap in it and everything else. Um, you know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic has been going on and on about how um, how MLS is different than Europe, uh, and he says it with sort of a negative slant on it, but basically he's saying, you know, anybody in MLS can beat anybody in MLS, and we've always known that watching Major League Soccer. You, you don't know what the results are going to be. You can't predict them very well. Uh, any team can come in here and win. Any team can come in here and lose. Um, all those things are possible. Um, the biggest difference that really makes up things in, in Major League Soccer is, is the confidence that you have in the system that you're playing and the players around you. Um, and it's the heart component, which I hate speaking about because, Kevin, I think you, too often fans go toward and say, oh, well, they're not playing with any heart. They're not trying. Um, but that heart component is like the two 
or two and a half percent that can make you win on any particular given day on any particular given night against any particular team it's the ability to keep battling and keep fighting in the face of adversity and to have that uh, sort of built into your DNA as a team makes you a more successful Major League Soccer team it just does um, but when you look at the LA Galaxy's record they've had one draw all year one draw um, and in, in my mind that, that goes more to a, a lack of heart in some of these cases and, and it's the lack of, of being able to put in just that 2% more effort um, of understanding that you have the ability to go into that well and you need leaders to show you how to do that. You know, Robbie Keane used to pick up the LA Galaxy, throw them on their back and score a goal whenever the Galaxy's, you know, back was up against the wall. That's what Robbie Keane used to do. Landon Donovan used to do that. Did it for the U.S. men's national team too. And when everything seemed lost, there were guys like Robbie Keane and Landon Donovan. Zlatan Ibrahimovic has that ability, Kevin. Um, but I don't know if he has the investment in the LA Galaxy anymore to, to try and show that extra 2%. And maybe at 37 years old, he doesn't have it anymore. Um, you know, Jonathan Dos Santos has the ability to show that extra effort in, in the face of adversity. And, and freeing him up to make that happen should be an important thing for, for Guillermo to go. So I, I don't like talking about heart or effort a lot of times because these are professional athletes. And a lot of times you can see the effort they put out. You can see how hard they're working. I talk to these guys after the game. You can see they're drenched in sweat wet they're exhausted um you know sometimes they can barely stand after the games they've run so much and 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 done so much um so all those things taken into mind but that 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 absence of leadership the inability for guys to step up after a game and say yes we were not good and it's not going to continue on my watch i don't see anybody doing that i don't see anybody rallying the troops and that does not bode well for the la galaxy going into any sort of emotional game like an lafc game like a san jose game playing against seattle um you know you're looking at like these rivalry games that doesn't bode well for the la galaxy you know continuing on well, and speaking of Zlatan, and then you, you mentioned Polenta and the yellow card suspension. For those of you who are wondering, yes, it looked like Zlatan should have been uh, suspended for the LAFC game for yellow card accumulation when he picked up a yellow card in the eight, 89th minute of a game that they were getting blown out of Friday in San Jose. What was he thinking? What was that all about? That just, it, you know, some some fans even wrote me and said he doesn't want to play against LAFC. He did that on purpose. Actually, he will be eligible for LAFC. The explanation I got from MLS uh, over the weekend was that he will not miss the game despite having uh, accumulated enough yellow cards to miss that game. And the reason he won't is because his yellow card in the Sean Johnson choking incident uh, doesn't count against his total because he was suspended by the MLS Discipl disciplinary committee. So take what you want from that. It kind of, it, some people have suggested it looks like they're, they're saying we really want him on that nationally televised game. That's, and that's, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll go right out and say that's BS because really the idea behind the, the, the two game suspension, there shouldn't be a double penalty for that. Either it's a yellow card, Kevin, and he doesn't get suspended for two games or it's, more serious than that, and it's not a yellow card. It's technically a red card, and we're going to suspend him for two games. That's what the disciplinary committee basically made that decision on. And whether or not you saw the yellow card in there, you can't double penalize somebody for that um, in this particular case. Um, and so it makes sense. And by the way, this is not something that came up after the game in terms of suddenly this was an issue. Uh, the LA Galaxy confirmed to me before I even left that night that MLS had specifically confirmed to them before the game that Zlatan Ibrahimovic had two yellow cards to go until suspension. And not only that, now we don't trust them very often, but in this case, they were 100% accurate. Uh, the game notes distributed by Major League Soccer uh, about a day before the game. So this was distributed on 
on Thursday and released out to uh, LA Galaxy beat writers, uh, the notes there show suspended after two yellow cards, LA Galaxy's uh, Fabio Alvarez, Joe Corona, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. So that now, in the next game notes we get against LAFC, it'll say suspended after the next yellow card, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. That will be in there. So that's it. I mean, there's there's no controversy here. I, in my mind, this is, you know, it's made up controversy. Um, certainly people wanted on one side, wanted Zlatan Ibrahimovic not to play in that game against LAFC. Um, and this is just, it's simple. It's simple. I, I Even before you confirmed it, Kevin, I said, this is going to come down to that New York City incident where they didn't count it as a yellow card. And that's exactly what it came down to. It's, it, seems, you know, one, it seems simple. One thing, we didn't, one thing we didn't do, you were you said you were going to do it. I think we need to close the circle on David Bingham, why we're kind of giving him a pass uh, for not speaking after the game. You know, we, we thought he should have. We right. asked for him. Um, it, it was a, a very difficult situation, it seemed to me. A guy who had the greatest game of his life, probably, um, against his former team, by the way, a team that he really wants to to prove that he's still, you know, a great goalkeeper, uh, left there under very bad circumstances. It wasn't a happy departure for him. Um, so it was a very emotional game for him. He, he played a great game, wound up giving up three goals. Uh, I arguably had no help from any of his teammates. That's why he had to make 14 saves. Uh, and so you had mentioned earlier that you wanted to get back to that. I, the, the reason I, I kind of give him a little bit of a break is what is he going to say? I yeah. mean, in, in that situation, he's so emotional. He's so geeked up. He just had this great game and got nothing for it. In fact, he gave up three goals, one of his highest totals of the year. Um, it would be very hard for him to step into that scrum and not throw people under the bus just in the it, 10 minutes after the game ended. So I kind of give him a little bit of a break. He's probably being a little bit smart saying there's nothing good I can say going over there. Uh, so I'm just not going to say anything. I don't know how you felt about that. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Um, you know, if you're if you're going to. So here are the questions that that David Bingham was probably going to get. I'm, I'm pretty good at fe- feeling out what what questions people are going to get asked. But David Bingham probably would have been asked, hey, David, no, it was a tough game. Uh, but, you know, you had a career high, you know, 14 saves on the night. I mean, you know, how do you sort of balance that against your former team? Understanding you still, you know, ultimately the defense gave up three goals, but that you had the game of your life. That would have been my question, um, because I think it allows him to say, yeah, obviously we're disappointed. Um, you know, this isn't what we wanted. This is a rivalry game. We know it's a rivalry game. And, you know, ha- having it be my former team, yeah, I, w- I wanted to beat them. Um, but, you know, it's it's I'm, I'm happy with my performance that I was able to try to keep us in this game as much as possible. Um, but, you know, we have to do better. That, I mean, that's probably the answer. Maybe that's, that's boring. The other answer could have been that he comes in here and he says, you know, we didn't fight. We didn't fight for this. I fought back there, but we didn't fight as a team, and we need to fight as a team. You know, saying that he was that he might have thrown people under the bus, Kevin. In my mind, after a game like that, somebody needed to. Uh, that would have been a game that Bruce Arena might have gone up there and thrown people under the bus in terms of said, no, we weren't good enough. We were never good enough in this game. It's an embarrassment. This is a rivalry game. You would expect the players to be up for this game, and they weren't. And maybe that's my fault. Maybe I didn't get them up. But if you're a professional athlete, you should be up for a rivalry game like this. And I, so far in two rivalry games, I've seen the Galaxy play against San Jose. I could say that at no time were they uh, they elevated to the point of you know emotion in either of those games. And I sometimes think that that's what's needed. You need somebody out there grabbing the crest like uh, like Yellow Von Dom did against the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, you need somebody who's going to get hard into a tackle and stand over somebody and yell at somebody a little bit and understand that this game means more than just a game. It was important for the Galaxy to get a win here, Kevin. If you look going up against the in the next game against LAFC, the chances to get points out of these two games was against San Jose, not against LAFC. Um, and so, you know, that's that, all of those things being put into to one giant sort of mixer. You have to sit there and say, okay, uh, 
uh, if you're the LA Galaxy, where do you go from here? Because it's very easy with the way the Galaxy have been so inconsistent l- lately to just drop down out of the playoff race. I know that when you look at standings right now, the LA Galaxy currently still sitting in second place um, in the Western Conference. I think they're in third place uh, still in the uh, in the Supporter Shield, but uh, Seattle still has to play on Sunday. Seattle has a chance with a win to jump over. They're playing Atlanta. Do they get the win? Do they not get the win? If they get the win, they jump over the LA Galaxy. Um, yeah, and the Galaxy yeah and, and the Galaxy right now, I mean, as we speak Sunday morning, the Galaxy could come out of that LAFC game in sixth place in the Western Conference. Yeah, I mean, everybody's so just compact and condensed in there. You know, FC Dallas has 29 points. Real Salt Lake, 29 points. San Jose has 31 points. Seattle Sounders have 32, and they're playing today. We're recording on Sunday, so you, the game will probably be over, and you'll know where the Galaxy sit. Uh, Minnesota United has 33 points right now. You know, the LA Galaxy sit at 34 points. Um, that's the race right now in the Western Conference. The Houston Dynamo have 27. They're seven points behind the LA Galaxy. Um, and have played one less game for Houston. So they're only seven points. That's not that far of a way. So if you start losing games, and if you go back and look at the history of the LA Galaxy from last season, they had a stretch around this time, Kevin, where they I think they went and they didn't win a game for six or seven games. Uh, if the LA Galaxy go and do that, and with the schedule coming up, uh, the teams they're playing, LAFC coming up, uh, you have Portland coming up, you have Atlanta coming up, you have DC United coming up, you have FC Dallas coming up, you have Seattle coming up, you have LAFC again, you have Seattle again. There are no easy games really from here on out uh, for the LA Galaxy. And that's going to be a difficult thing for them to sort of rectify. So if they're not going to get any players in, if they're not going to do anything in this transfer market, which I think there's a possibility of them still doing, uh, they have a tough road ahead uh, coming up in these next two months. Uh, The conclusion of July and all the way through August um, is, is not a fun thing to see. And then September has six games in it, six league games in it, Kevin. Six league games in September. The first one against Seattle, the second one against the hottest team in the league, which it's funny to say, but it's the Colorado Rapids. Yeah, between them and New England right now, um, they're basically, you know, and San Jose, quite honestly. Um, I would say if you're going to ask me to rank the Western Conference teams right now um, in terms of, you know, the top two, that LAFC, obviously, and then San Jose is probably my second best team in the Western Conference. Maybe Seattle's after that. Um, whenever you look at the Western Conference, uh, Minnesota currently is, is playing okay, but San Jose is one of the hottest teams. I think San Jose could... Um, could be one of the if you if you want the dark horse to win major league soccer uh you know win mls cup right now in my mind put your money on san jose because they could be a a fun team to watch and and that should you know that should worry the galaxy again there's plenty of time for this all to turn around i don't want to just be the negative guy here kevin but when you look at that performance that was the worst performance i've seen from the la galaxy probably this year and my biggest thing was it was there was no emotion in it um and and now there's no leadership afterwards so how do you go you have a rudderless ship it's just sort of swinging in the way it's being pounded up against the rocks right now um, and there's nobody you know at the helm trying to steer it out of trouble uh, that has to be Guillermo Beres-Coloto. It has to be guys like Jonathan Dos Santos. Uh, it has to be guys like Zlatan Ibrahimovic if this team is going to come together and do that um, and I don't know if they have that leadership to do it so I mean that's sort of that's sort of my take yeah and and the injuries continue to pile up they, they can't put their healthiest team out there um, uh there, there just doesn't. Maybe that's why no one spoke. There doesn't seem to be anything to say. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, Ramon Alessandrini's still out. Although I heard he is back to some light training. That could be like light jogging on the side, that type of thing. Um, he could be possibly uh, on his road to recovery for the LA Galaxy. Chris Pontius was apparently training. Look for his possible return coming before LAFC. Sebastian Legit as well. Uh, Chris Pontius with a hamstring. Sebastian Legit with that pelvis injury. Uh, he should be back for LAFC as well. We're expecting that. 
Perry Kitchen, we don't have a timeline on uh, with his pelvis injury. Uh, wasn't in the 18-man roster for the LA Galaxy. And Dan Stare is sort of unknown on his timeline right now. Those are your uh, your injury updates that I know of. So Starris probably has the pelvis thing, too. It yeah, to be going around. It's, it's, it's contagious. It's from the towels so, or something. I have no, no idea. W- one thing, judging from social media, that everyone wants to ask about, and, and you probably know more about this than I do since it wasn't a big issue in France, but from what I'm hearing about the Christian Pavon talks, the, they are ongoing. Yes. Dennis DeClosa did scout him at a game uh, against Tijuana. Uh, the talks are active. Um, they are happening, but the sources that I talked to have cautioned me to stay away from it right now. That it, they do not think that anything is is intimate. That's not going to happen immediately. Um, there is some feeling that, that I'm getting that perhaps uh, the player's agent is not as sincere. Well, I don't want to say sincere, but it is is also continuing to listen to teams in Europe, Arsenal and others. They're uh, their transfer window, my understanding, is not open yet. So the, the longer they talk to the Galaxy, the more it allows interest for those other teams to build. And there is an overlap in the transfer window where it's not like they have to make a decision before the European transfer window begins uh, to open up. So there there could be a lot at play here. I'm told that the talks are ongoing, but they're not really close to the point where I saw one report saying that the deal was done and all they need to do is sign the contract. I'm told that that is not accurate. That they haven't got to that stage yet that it's still sort of a feeling out thing. So we'll definitely watch that. This is one of the things that may or may not help the Galaxy this season. I think this is uh, preparing for the post-Zalatan era. Um, and if they can get this guy signed now, they, it, there's a lot of things that need to happen. They need to create a designated player spot. Give the Galaxy credit. They're talking about they have the most expensive player in league history in Zlatan. They're talking about spending perhaps, if you listen to the rumors, as much as $12 million to bring another guy in. They need to create, a, again, a DP spot to do that. Uh, but give the Galaxy credit for going out there and being willing to spend the money, whether they'll be able to make that happen Um it remains to be seen, and again, I'm I'm told on the deal that it, it is alive. It is hap- It is they, they are talking, but it appears to be a long way away from actually happening. Yeah, I, I think that it, it may be moving closer towards an actual thing. Here's the here's the thing about the transfer window. Obviously, over in Europe, um, they they can make deals right now. Uh, they just can't add anybody to the uh, to the roster until that transfer window sort of opens. So you could sort of make a deal. You could be talking and you would be talking with people uh, before it actually happens, before it actually opens. So uh, I just feel like that uh, this has gone on long enough for Boca. I believe the ball is still in Boca's court. I believe the LA Galaxy and the $12 million number seems to still be accurate. It's the only number that continues to be uh, sort of to the surface and, and one that we can take a look at. That would value uh, Christian Pavone at about $24 million because again, $12 million um, times the 50% of the player. I think that percentage might still be in flux. Uh, I think the number probably stays the same. I bet the Gal- LA Galaxy are looking at 65 or 70% and Boca are looking, you know, in the in the 45, uh, 45 to 40% range. And, you know, you meet in the middle at 50% still kind of works like that. I think Boca is slow playing this, um, but we know that Boca needs money. We know that they don't, uh, that he's getting booed apparently um, down at Boca, that Boca fans don't want him anymore. And, and, and you know, a lot of times you see guys who just sour. Uh, the only re- reason that this makes any type of sense in terms of Pavone and his recent form, because if you're looking at a, at a reason not to get him, Kevin, his recent form hasn't been great. Uh, like I said, he's getting booed by the by the Boca fans themselves. But the only reason that you go and you and you take this risk and you value a player at $24 million right now with $12 million for 50% of the player is because you know that his productivity under Guillermo Barra was some of his best. And so you're hoping for a guy to come in and rehabilitate that image over two years 
and then the LA Galaxy sell him for you know forty something million dollars to make a whole bunch of money um, off of that whole deal. Whether or not that happens, we'll see. But it, you're you're not lying whenever you say the LA Galaxy have spent twelve million dollars, um, or, or are talking about spending twelve million dollars after paying Zlatan Ibrahimovic seven point five million dollars after buying out Giovanni Dos Santos for uh, somewhere south of six point five million dollars. We don't exactly know how much of that money actually comes back to AEG if they whenever they sold him to uh, Club America down in Liga MX. Um, so you look at all those things um, and it seems to sort of point at the LA Galaxy spending a ton of money. Uh, the one thing I was talking with some uh, reporters over the weekend about was Zlatan Ibrahimovic and the fact that he makes $7.2 million and they're like, well, he's the highest paid player in the league. And I said, yeah, but if you think about it, the LA Galaxy, more than likely, I don't believe Zlatan's coming back and I've said that you know a bunch of times, that's nothing new. But if you look at it from the LA Galaxy perspective, uh, if you take his $1.5 million that he made last year, Kevin, and you add it to the $7.2 million and you get $8.7 million, right? And then you divide that by the two years he played, you really paid $4.35 million per year for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And I think anybody agrees that's probably a steal and a half. Um, well, yeah, it's about two-thirds what you paid for uh, Gio Dos Santos. There you go. There you go. No, um, so that makes and sense. The, the other thing about Pavan is, is um, you know, Boca said, look, if we're going to do this thing where we're going to, he's going to wind up getting transferred to Europe anyways in two years, why do we need a middleman? Why do we need to negotiate this with the Galaxy? We'll just keep them and we'll take all the money ourselves and we'll send them to Europe. Well, uh, I think that's a, a, a posturing on their part. I think that's right. just to maybe drive up the terms. Because, first of all, Arsenal's not going to give them the money the Galaxy's going to give them. And the reason they're not going to is because they don't have Guillermo Barros-Galoto, who said, you know, again, you're right. There are people looking at it and say, well, his, he's not a $12 million player anymore. He's not playing very well. He's getting booed. He's a guy that could come over to the EPL and maybe be uh, someone off the bench to play in the FA Cup. The Galaxy value him much, much higher because they think that they have the key to make him productive in Guillermo. So they're going to pay – A, they're going to give – Boca more, I think, he's because he's worth more to them. So the whole idea of we don't need the middleman, yeah, you do because you're going to make more money over the, the you know in the next two years if you have that middleman. Whereas if you just try to sell him now, you're going to get the bottom dollar. Yeah, you could have sold him to Arsenal for forty million dollars two years ago. Apparently, um, you didn't do that. So now you have to look and see how you can recover that money, and you're going to get twelve million dollars to spend on something else that if you're Boca, you need because um, you're you're not winning finals right now. That's really where Boca's at, and and looking at River and and what River has done as well. So, I mean, that's their competition down there. That's what they're doing. This all seems like posturing. I still feel like this deal gets done. Um, I still don't understand or, or know exactly. I understand a bunch of mechanisms, but I don't know which mechanism they're going to use uh, to sort of point at uh, to, to get around Roman Alessandrini and his designated player contract. Again, in my mind, the easiest thing for you to do is to sit there and sort of make that, uh, extend the contract out, I think, another year uh, for less money that brings the average down below a TAM contract. And so then he's no longer designated player, he's a TAM player, and then you have a designated player opening uh, for for Christian Pavone, and certainly Pavone is a guy who fits in that 4-3-3 formation, Kevin, that you were talking about with Guillermo Barish-Coloto for next year, so all that stuff seems to go. Zlatan Ibrahimovic goes away, you can bring in another guy, maybe you bring in somebody like Benedetto um, as well, so I mean, there's there, lots of things happen, and then the thing that we talked about I think on Thursday a little bit is the, the collective bargaining agreement and what's going to happen with the salary cap, with TAM, with all of that stuff that comes up as the, uh, as the CBA expires, I think in January of 2020. 
Um, so that's this year. Um, and we talked about the offseason and what that would bring with the CBA and the negotiations and whether or not, I, you know, I've already said that I don't think next year's season starts on time. Um, so all of that stuff that you see all comes into this deal that you're trying to make right now um, and understanding where that salary cap is going to go and, and everything else. So there's a lot of uncertainty uh, for Major League Soccer coming up. And, and certainly with Dennis DeClosa, he has to sort of, I, I guess, guard against or hedge against um, that, that uncertainty with the CBA and everything else. Well, another thing, too, is Pavone needs to go through a, a physical before they can finalize the deal. They need to check that pelvis, make sure it's good. <laughs> yeah, well, he's not going to have a pelvis injury now. That's obviously something that's contagious within uh, the Galaxy organization. When she gets here, yeah. Yeah, that's it. All right. Uh, maybe there's a vaccine for that or something. I have no idea. All right. Uh, no. It's By the way, topical, I, does, topical cream. does everybody know we're joking about the pelvis injury, that it's not something you catch? Or, like, are people going to stop coming to StubHub Center because they think there's, like, a pelvis outbreak of some sort, pelvis disease of some sort? I have no well, idea. Well, don't take the vaccine. <laughs> that's that's Jenny McCarthy. I'm an anti-vaxxer when it comes to the pelvis. I was going to say, did Jenny McCarthy tell you to say that? That sounds that sounds like some crazy talk. All right, uh, I think that about does it. We've gone we've gone long enough. Uh, again, the LA Galaxy getting ready to take on uh, LAFC coming up on Friday. Is that a big game? Yeah, it seems to be. Uh, at least uh, at least it was last year. Let's put it that way. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's on a Friday night. You know what that means? Uh, uh, what does that mean? Traffic. Oh well, yeah. There's oh not only that, but while there were, it was an 8 p.m. start on Friday night against San Jose, which is a better start on a Friday. Uh, whether or not, you know, reporters like that, I heard a whole bunch of whining in the press box about the 8 p.m. start time. Um, from me. Yeah, from you, from Scott French, from a whole bunch of anybody who's like, 8 p.m., why 8 p.m.? And, you know, then we don't get out of there till 1.30 a.m. Or at least I didn't leave the stadium till about 1.30 uh, or 12.30. 12.45 was right around whenever I left the stadium, got home at 1.30. Uh, but no, all that. But this one is a 7 p.m., so it's, it's earlier than the 7.30, which I think you would like to see. Although I have a feeling this game doesn't actually start until at the very earliest, 7.15 or 7.18, because it's nationally televised on ESPN, there's a chance it doesn't start, Kevin, until 7.37, until actually the halfway mark, plus a little bit longer. So we'll, we'll try to figure out when the actual kickoff time is but for ESPN. don't, if you're listening, get there on time, because well, we don't want to be held responsible for that. And besides, if there's a lot of traffic, it's all traffic. There's going to be a lot of traffic. It's, a, it's, it's better to sit in your seat for 15 minutes than to miss the first 15 minutes of the game. It could be two to nothing by then. I was going to say, one, th one final sort of observation that I saw from uh, Dignity Health Sports Park, and I don't think I've ever seen this before. Uh, and certainly it goes to something that Siggy Schmidt, uh, the late great Siggy Schmidt, said uh, whenever after, I think, a San Jose game, or maybe it was after a, an LAFC game. Um, but he said, you know, why are the fans sitting right behind? Um, the away supporters. The away, yeah, the away supporters. Why are they sitting right right down on the field, right next to the field? Well, in the San Jose game, they actually put them up in the 200s, uh, up in the corner on the level. And I think that's the first time I've seen that. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happens against LAFC as no, well. No, it's exactly what will happen against LAFC. And that's why they did it. Because because they were, if they had done that for the LAFC game the first time, people would say, well, wait a minute, you know, it, we're your Crosstown rivals and you guys are so scared of us, you're going to put up, us upstairs. Yep. Remember, the the, uh, the 3252 that came last time, they were down right on the field and they were, they had two or three sections. Yep. Remember, they bought some extra tickets and they were very, uh, very noisy and very enthusiastic and um, it, they were very noticeable, in other words. So if the Galaxy had tried to move them, for that game, I think people would have uh, there would have been a hue and cry. But now they can say, "Hey, we do this for every game. We did it for San Jose last week. We have a new policy. It's not for LAFC. Uh, all, yeah. Au contraire." Yeah, no, it, it, it is. Learned. And and I don't know if they're going to for everybody now. I don't know if they're going to keep it for for everybody now. I don't know if that's the policy going forward. But I'll tell you that in terms of uh, of consistency across the league, that's what everybody else does. Um, well, so LAFC it does it too. Yeah, and yeah. and the Galaxy fans were up in the top deck in the corner, almost exactly where. 
the San Jose fans were for this game. So the Galaxy are right to do that. But I do think that it was a very strategic decision to do it for the San Jose game so they can turn to LAFC and said, this is our new policy. We did it last week. It's not for you guys. Yeah, of course, the safe standing section also going to the north end, which is uh, something we can talk about at a later date. But anyway, we've got enough uh, for stuff and, and stuff like that. I don't think, and to end this you know podcast, I know there was a lot of negative stuff there, and I was talking to some fans, and they said, you know, it's always great because you're, you're sort of level-headed on this stuff. Um, I, I will raise the alarm whenever I think the alarm needs to be raised. Uh, I will be harsh and critical whenever that needs to happen. And a lot of times I say, you know, that what you saw there, you, you, it's you're letting your emotions get a hold of you. Uh, but what you saw on the field on Friday night, you, you got it right. Um, there, there was nothing there that I can tell you that there was good from outside of David Bingham's performance, and he has continued to be a, you know, a bright spot this season, um, and he will continue to probably be a bright spot for the LA Galaxy. They need him to be uh, sort of that guy. Uh, but the performance the LA Galaxy got as a whole was abysmal. Um, you should be upset. You should be angry if you're a fan. You should be asking questions about how they're going to fix it, and uh, Guillermo didn't have answers for that after the game. So uh, a lot of soul-searching needs to happen this week in training, getting ready for that LAFC game uh, coming up on Friday. And then quite honestly, I mean, the rivalry aside, and I know everybody's going to focus on that game and, and put that game on there. That's not the important thing about this game. The important thing is to get points from that game because you have to go to away to Portland the next weekend. Um, it's about going away to Atlanta, you know, the weekend after that. It's about going away to um, to uh, DC United. So you have two East Coast trips back to back again. All of these things are adding up to a season and where the LA Galaxy can find themselves at the end of the season. So you can focus on the LAFC game. Obviously, it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, biggest game the LA Galaxy will play this year, but the points are more important than any result right now for the LA Galaxy and, and trying to get into that playoff position and trying to be in a good playoff position. That's what's important. The Galaxy have a lot of things to fix if they're going to be consistent point getters for the rest of the season. So that's and my they point. have the League's Cup coming up too, which is going to Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody, I, they, I, got, they got to put a, a team on the field. 11 players have to run around for 90 minutes. LA Galaxy 2, call, come on up. Play the Jolos. And, and do not, whatever you do, if you're the LA Galaxy and you're an LA Galaxy fan, do not win that game. Do not play more games. No, yeah, yeah, you lose you gotta, that game. Pull everybody off the field if it's close in the end. I, I told everybody, that is a nationally televised game, by the way. It's on ESPN, um, and it, it's coming out. And I was talking to some of the people around ESPN, and yeah, it was it was an interesting discussion. But anyway, so two back-to-back -back ESPN games uh, on Friday and on Tuesday for the LA Galaxy uh, against LAFC and then against uh, the Jolos of, uh, of Tijuana in that League's Cup game. God, that's just great timing on all that. All right. Uh, anything else, Kevin? Are you good? You got your your league's cup fantasy team put together yet? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm right there. Uh, I just I just put the entire bench from LA Galaxy two on the on the top guys, and that was it. That's how that's yeah. how it worked. All right. Uh, let's see. If if you're good, I'm good. You're good. Uh, I'm I'm never good, but anyway. Yeah. We'll, I'm done. I'm done. I'm we'll, not good. I'm done. We'll at least go with that. All right. If you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter back on the show, finally, good to have him back. Uh, if you're looking for Kevin Baxter on Twitter, it's at kbaxter11, and of course, head on over to the latimes.com. That's where you can find all of uh, Kevin's wonderful articles. Uh, he covered the women. World Cup obviously covers soccer in Southern California. Glad to have the panda back here on Corner of the Galaxy from the box. All right. Uh, if you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at Jay Guessman, J G U E S M A N, and of course at Galaxy Podcast, cornerofthegalaxy.com, where you can find all of our uh, all of our fun stuff there, all of our merchandise, all of our articles, our videos, our podcasts, all that stuff right there, cornerofthegalaxy.com. I implore you to tell your friends about us. Uh, met a whole bunch of great people over the weekend on Friday uh, at the game. Just just wonderful getting uh, getting caught up with everybody. Uh, shout out to El Silencio Mezcal for uh, uh, inviting some of our guests into the speakeasy. So we were there for a little bit before the game as well. So uh, that was a lot of fun. All right. For Mr. Kevin Baxter, I'm Josh Guessman. You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody.
You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy from the Box podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.